True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanaka's Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka, Polanco and Franco. St. Patrick's Friday, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on March 17th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers today on the show. Yeah, we, yeah. Scotty, yeah. pumped up. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed you two aren't wearing green. Um, no, green. Are, are you? Hey, gonna come pinch you. Yeah, I guess you're wearing. You're wearing green. It's like a like a hunter green or something. Yeah, it's green. Yeah, it was I, conscious. It was deliberate. Scott I planned on. Scolding you two for not uh, for not. I don't being know if I. Enough. I don't know if I really have anything that's green. Like, oh, wow. we're, Frank and I are meeting up in the city tomorrow, and I had no idea it was a, when I agreed to this. I had no idea it was St. Patrick's Day, and like, I almost backed out. And instead, what Chris did is he chose the most Irish bar that you could imagine. So yeah, yeah. he did the complete opposite of what he just said. Uh, I, I'm a Jets fan, so I have no excuse. I have a bunch of green stuff around here. I just How could you not have like green is have... green looks good on everybody, you know. I, I, I really... think green's the color that looks best on me. Not a I don't think I have, have any blonde I'm, hair. Or I'm very brown. blue. I, my my wardrobe's very blue heavy. So mm-hmm. I, I I I think I have like one Henley, but I don't know. Might have to throw that on tomorrow just so I don't get pinched. <laughs> I'm a Jets fan, and I don't like the color green. I, I kind of wish they would change their jersey color. So uh, sorry, Scott, oh, but I'm out on green. Um, gang green. But I do. Unfortunately, their black jerseys are really boring. So I you don't really have a lot of alternatives. I like the black so jerseys. I, was, I remember I had I talked to Frank about this like a couple months ago. I was I was saying I was talking about what colors 
are overrepresented in uniform combinations. Certainly navy blue is. A lot of red and navy blue. I was saying, like, one color combination. I don't think there's a team with this color combination. Like, a forest green with a brown. Like, green and brown. And he, the, the look of disgust on his face when I suggested it's, You know, it's, it's, it's poo colors. I think uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have right. a green and tan jersey. That's about the closest mm, that you'll get. They do, yeah. Anywho, you're right. We, I think, I think, I think maybe in the '90s the Bucks color scheme may have been close. That'd to that. be a struggle for people with color blindness. Yeah, yeah, not great. Well, I do enjoy St. Patrick's Day, so um, we're gonna have a nice little time tomorrow, Chris. Uh, well, today, when people are listening to this, we've wasted enough time. Position preview updates today <laughs> on the podcast, as well as the reveal of our listener league participants. We'll announce that later on in the podcast. Let's start with catcher my idea for this is basically what has changed since we did our position previews is there anyone who's been on the rise is there someone who's performing really well in the spring and then we'll just give out one of our one or two of our favorite targets to draft start with catcher and it goes about a nine to eleven deep depending on who you ask uh, feel really good with uh, one of those top 11 for me as my catcher one someone who has been on the rise having a great spring is Gabriel Moreno seven for 17 with two home runs with the Arizona Diamondbacks I don't know if the playing time will be there for him right away but just showing that he has the ability to hit fly balls and hit home runs makes me a little bit more encouraged with Gabriel Moreno Uh, Scott any other thoughts at the position anything that's changed over the past month or so uh well I mean obviously we we know for sure that uh Francisco Alvarez isn't going to be on the Mets roster. It seemed like a long shot going into spring training. Same thing, Bo Naylor for the Guardians roster. I, I, I agree Gabriel Moreno is probably the catcher whose stock has risen the most since we last did this. And I, he could play a lot because um, Carson Kelly has never hit righties very well. I mean, Moreno's a right-handed hitter himself. But um, I, I could see a scenario where Kelly mostly plays against lefties. Those are definitely going to be the team's two catchers. Um, but, you know, my approach at catcher, I do, are we going to get into approach? Uh, just uh, the fact that it's so much, uh, there, there are so many quality, more quality options there than we're used to seeing. I think for me, it goes through about the number nine choice, whether that's Sean Murphy or William Contreras, they, they tend to go in a similar spot. Those nine, I'd be pretty thrilled with any of them as my starting catcher. In one catcher leagues, it's pretty typical for one of them to last pretty late. So I'm 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 basically out on JT Real Muto this year because of that. I I don't want to fill that position so early that um, I miss out on a really cheap option that I still believe is high quality. So Scott mentioned his top nine ending with William Contreras and Sean Murphy. Again, I take that 11 deep because I would be perfectly fine with MJ Melendez or Tyler Stevenson as my catcher one as well. Chris. Yeah, I think I think Melendez's ADP is actually higher than both William Contreras and Sean Murphy, but mm-hmm. I, I do have him outside of that group. Chris, who is your favorite catcher one and catcher two to draft? Maybe someone early and someone a little bit later on. Definitely Salvador Perez. I imagine Scott and I are going to have the same answer for that question because it's kind of a fight to see who... <laughs> Uh, drafts in between the two of us. Um, but you asked me first, so I'll give Salvador Perez. As for my number two catcher, it's probably Gabriel Moreno, you know, as you talked about. Love it. It's just uh, it's a chance to take a bite at a uh, 
you know, a high upside player with legitimately very, very good contact skills who, you know, I think has a very high floor as a result of that and could have a, you know, Alejandro Kirk like impact at the position, if not, you know, hopefully a little better. Scott, a catcher one and catcher two that you like to target. Yeah, it's, it, it is true. I've been getting a lot of Salvador Perez lately. That's more in two catcher leagues where uh, you don't see Sean Murphy and William Contreras go much later than Salvador Perez. And I just think, I think Perez is the best bet to lead the position both in home runs and especially RBI. Like he might have 30 more RBI than any other catcher. So if you're talking about a five by five league, which is typically a two catcher league, I've, I've really warmed up to grabbing him in round seven or so. Number two catcher. Uh, I haven't actually drafted Logan Ohapi because, but in theory, I like him as a number two catcher. Somebody just always grabs him earlier. Uh, expected starter for the angels rookie. I do think, I do think Eric Haas is being undervalued. Good power source, going to play a lot for the Tigers. All right, catcher one for me that I've been targeting is Sean Murphy. I wrote him up in Breakouts 2.0. Career numbers outside of Oakland Coliseum are fantastic. He made some big improvements last year in the strikeout rate. And Yasmani Grandal is someone I wind up drafting a lot as my second catcher. Having a good spring so far, 8 for 25 with one home run. And I've read an article from NBC Sports Chicago this offseason about Grandal's workouts. And they've said, watching Grandal go through a rigorous two-hour workout designed by Chicago Blackhawks strength and conditioning coach Paul Goodman at a gym near the United Center, you can see the fire burning inside of him. He is 10 weeks into a torturous seven-day-per-week training regimen designed to rebuild his body, which he said broke down last season. So I am betting on the bounce back. He obviously goes very late. That is Yasmani Grandal. The first base position. Not much has changed so far this spring. It's still very deep. I I guess the one injury note to mention is uh, Christian Walker is dealing with a bruised hip. I think he's fine. He got hit by a pitch, so uh, all good there. And Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, the fact that he's had back issues continuing this spring, that caused me to lower him a tier at the position. Well, I guess I should mention Freddie Freeman, right? He is dealing with a hamstring injury and uh, supposed to return on Saturday to spring training action. With that being said, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was dealing with a knee injury most of spring as well, but he uh, recently returned to spring training games as well. So not really much going on here. Uh, I know, Scott, you've talked up Trey Mancini and Miguel Vargas. They probably have moved up in the rankings throughout the process for you. Yeah, they have. I I, I had basically no interest in Trey Mancini when we did the position previews before, and... um, you know, now I'm more confident he's going to play literally every day for the Cubs. And I was reading more about what he went through last year with that transition from the Orioles to the Astros. You know, obviously with the Orioles, he was crushed by that huge chasm in left field, like all the right-handed hitters were for them. And and then with the Astros, his swing got kind of out of whack and he didn't have a chance really to fix it because he was playing irregularly. So I think with the Cubs, Trey Mancini could have a nice bounce back season. But Miguel Vargas is really the one I'm excited about here. And uh, the fact he's going to be picking up eligibility at second base early on only helps. I think I, I think his safest con- contribution is, is probably batting average, but with enough power and speed that he's not like a batting average specialist. And so to get that all from a player outside of the top 200 or at least around 200th, 
I, I think could be really spectacular. That is Miguel Vargas with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Looking at the rankings now, I feel confident with any of my top 12 at the position that ends with Rowdy Telez, but even if you play it in a deeper league, I'd be fine winding up with someone like Josh Bell, who I have down at uh, 17 in the rankings. Chris, any thoughts on first base and your favorite to draft at the position? Yeah, I think we're kind of in a, like the guard is about to change at first base because a lot of the best players at the position are kind of old, except the young guys haven't totally stepped up yet. You know, obviously Pete Alonso and Vladimir Guerrero are very much in their primes, but you know, Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt are older. Jose Abreu is older. So we're still waiting for the kind of next generation of guys to step up. And so first base feels a little shallow-ish. I do, you know, my favorite player is probably Christian Walker. I just think he's a great value where you can typically get him in like the 10th round range. Um, very good numbers last season. But if you look under the hood, the quality of contact metrics suggest he was actually even better than his numbers. So I think there's room for growth, even from what he did last season. And then if I'm waiting, it's probably Tristan Casas is my favorite player to target. Uh, yeah. Just think there's a lot to like about his skill set, raw power, play discipline. He's having a good spring, which helps. Um, yeah. You know, 1079 OPS, 34 at bat sample size is not a huge one, but not striking out all too much, which is pretty much what he did last season, uh, walked a ton last year and showed the power. So I, I think Tristan Casas, like if you're looking for the next generation of first baseman, he's one of the guys that you're hoping takes a step forward. The, the, the one thing you said that I'd kind of object to is uh, calling first base shallowish. Mm -hmm. Though, I mean, I have had the experience in like a 15 team league where it's like, oh crap, I didn't address first base early enough. Obviously that's, a deeper league, but I, I feel like if we, we can't view first base as deep, then there's really not a position we can view as deep. It's at least it, it's, I guess it doesn't have a lot of, I guess it doesn't have, I don't know, a lot of clear early rounders, but it's really deep in the middle with guys like Christian Walker and Nate Lowe and Reese Hoskins, um, Rowdy Telez, who you mentioned, Frank. And, and then if, you know, if, if they all go, you can fall back on a tie. France, I've been okay in some of those deeper leagues, just going with Miguel Vargas or Tristan Casas, just as straight as my starter mm -hmm. there, because that's how much confidence I have in them as rookies. I think part of it is I don't like Anthony Rizzo or Rowdy Teles as much as you guys do. Um, okay, I just I think they're one trick ponies, and it's a good trick hitting home runs. If you're going to have one trick, you know, hitting thirty home runs is a pretty good one. But I just. Only I don't know. 23 guys did it last year. A lot. Yeah. And the they are two of them. Uh, yep. But neither was nearly as good prior to that and in, in 2021, especially. And I just, I don't know, like Rizzo, Rizzo, especially, it just, it feels like you're getting power and nothing else, especially in a, a Roto league. In a points league, his play discipline does make him a little better. But then you've got the fact that he's probably not going to play a full slate of games anyway. So I just, I don't know. Rizzo Rizzo doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. I, I would just say that first base is probably the position where I'm most willing to wait. I'm 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 more scared of the scarcities elsewhere. Uh, so you know, short shortstop is deep at the top, second base is deep at the bottom, first base is deep in the middle. 
is kind of how I break it down. Wow, Chris turning his back on the big beefy baseball to Les. You hate to see it, man. I mean, look, I, I love him. <laughs> I do agree yeah. that I think we, we could see a changing of the guard soon-ish at first base with Andrew Vaughn, if he could take off, Tristan Casas, you mentioned, prospects like Matt Mervis and, and Kyle Manzardo hopefully coming up and making an impact this season as well. Scott, real quick, uh, who's your favorite first baseman at Target? Vinny P, baby. Oh, yeah. Baby. <laughs> it usually goes a little earlier since I'm waiting at first base and I can't get him, but I'd like to get him. My favorite to draft is Rowdy Telez. Not only were there only 23 players to hit 30-plus home runs last year, there was only 10 to hit 35 or more. Rowdy Telez was one of those. I would expect the batting average to be up this year. He lost a bunch of hits to the shift last season. Yeah, he's not going to be a standout, but 240, 250 with 30-plus home yeah. runs. That's pretty much what we're expecting from Reese Hoskins, and Rowdy Telez goes later than Reese Hoskins. Let's slide over to second base, and we know that there are four pretty interesting, fun players up top in Jose Altuve, Marcus Semien, Jazz Chisholm, and Ozzy Albies. Uh, and then, you know, it falls off, definitely, in terms of talent. But it's kind of deep with bounce-back candidates. One of those, Chris, is it weird that Jorge Polanco has not appeared in a spring training game yet? I didn't yeah, realize I mean, that. I looked up his spring stats today to see, well, I haven't heard Jorge Polanco's name. What is he doing? Nothing. He hasn't done anything. It's weird because at the start of spring, spring training, he said he was fully healthy. He's apparently working out and hitting and and playing on the back lots every day. So I don't know how much to be concerned about that, but you know, the, the status of Jorge Polanco, you know, a lot about how I feel about this position is kind of writing on Jorge Polanco, because I think if, if him and Brandon Lau bounce back, I feel really good about the second base position. I, I think both those guys have a ton of upside. I think both of them have very good explanations for why they struggled last season, but you know, if the knee tendonitis is already an issue for Jorge Polanco, and to be clear, it's not clear if it actually is an issue right now or if they're just taking it easy with him because they know they've got a long season and he's a vet who doesn't really need all that much time to get up to speed. Whatever it is, it, it's a little weird. Yeah, I, it hasn't it hasn't scared me off of drafting him yet, but that's also because he goes, you know, 10th round or later more often than not. A few names that we've mentioned on a recent podcast that are on the rise. Vaughn Grissom, you know, the ADP is on the rise now that, you know, people are getting back into fantasy baseball starting, oh, to realize, wow, Vaughn Grissom is a starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. Well, he has second base eligibility as well. And a deep sleeper, someone who's turning some heads in spring training is Michael Massey, someone, Scott, that I know you like quite a bit as well. Talk to me about second base and your favorite to draft at the position. Yeah, so I said a minute ago, second base is deep at the bottom. So how, whether you view this as shallow or deep probably depends on what size league you're talking about. If you're in a 10-team league, you're probably going to think, oh, second base is awful. If you're in a 15-team league, this is one of the positions where you can probably afford to wait because mm -hmm. there is great value in players like Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, and I think especially Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte is barely being drafted inside yeah. the top 200, <clears throat> even though... Outside the top 200 right now. He's oh, outside two or something, I think, in, wow. in NFC yeah. ADP at least. So prior to last year, Cattell Marte had a three-year stretch where he hit like 318 with an OPS over 900. Um, and and now he's just forgotten. You know, the StackHouse data was pretty good for him last year. 
even though he struggled. So yeah, I, I like to tell Marte. So I, like, there's a lot to fall back on at second base if you don't get the high end options. And when I say high end, second base other than the catcher is the only position without arguably with without somebody who you could make the case should go in the first round. So it's it's uh, Jose Altuve. You might see him go late in the second, more likely in the third. And that's the one who I think I'm most comfortable. Like, like the only one of the high-end targets that I'm willing to reach for is Jose Altuve because I think he is, um, I, I think he's a distant first in my mind because he stands out in batting average and can help in steals and is one of the best power threats at the position and bats in a great lineup. So I, I love getting Jose Altuve. I'm going to go ahead and say he's my favorite to target, even though that just kind of depends if he lasts to me in round three. If he does, I'm pretty much always going to take Jose Altuve. Um, but if he doesn't, you know, unless I get good value on Simeon, Ozzy Albies, or Jazz Chisholm, in the case of Albies or Chisholm, that probably means round five, uh, not earlier, then then I'm probably going to go for one of those bounce-back candidates I just talked about, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, or Cattell Marte. Mm. I noticed, Scott, you keep skipping over a name there when you say bounce-back candidates. Jonathan India. Jonathan India! Come yeah. on, man! Yeah, I'm, I know you like him as like a bounce-back candidate, uh, and I have him in a couple of deep leagues. I just don't, I don't feel like he has the same upside as that group. I, I think he kind of played over his head as a rookie, Whoa. And I think the dejuiced ball might have yeah. killed his value. No, don't say he, that. He has, I mean, look, he's a very pull-heavy fly ball hitter. Right. He yes. plays in a very, very good home park. So, like, right. he could be so the kind of guy okay. who maximizes his power. But right. yeah, I just don't think it's a particularly special skill set. No, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I could see, you know, high teens and home runs and... He's talked about running to run more this year. I think he's capable of it. I don't think the sprint speed is particularly, you know, very high for Jonathan India, but I think he could give you 10 to 15 steals, maybe 18 to 20 home runs. One, yeah, no, I think that's fine. I think that's yeah. fine. I just think I just think Polanco, Marte, and Lau have the potential for more than that. Fair yeah, enough. the thing I will say about the second base position is like part of why I don't like Andres Jimenez is I don't know if there's that much difference between him and I mean, really, like Jonathan India. I think Jimenez is a better bet for batting average, but like, or even like, I'm not sure there's that much of a difference between Andres Jimenez and, and Gene Segura. Yes. And so <laughs> when I look at the, the second base position, it's weirdly deep. It's shallow on impact players. But like, I think once you hit like yeah. six, because I do think Tommy Edmond just because he's such a good steel source and so proven in that regard, I would take him ahead of Tommy or Andres Jimenez. But I think once you hit Jimenez, it's like, I don't know how much of a difference there is between Jimenez and, you know, some of the, the next 10 guys, you know, I, I think Jimenez clearly showed some upside last year, last year, but I don't think like, I don't think he has more upside than Cattell Marte. You know, realistically, maybe because of the stolen bases, but like we've seen Cattell Marte be a 900 OPS bat, you know? I still really like Gene Segura. Just if you play in a deep league, you need a fallback, mm -hmm. someone that's not going to hurt you. I think that's Gene Segura. Chris, real quick, just give me a name. Your favorite to draft at second base. Uh, I'd say Brandon Lau. All right, let's take our first break. And when we return, 
The Listener League participants will be revealed on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Once again, big thanks to all of the Listener League submissions, the creativity, the thoughtfulness, all different types of songs, poems, haikus, memes, stories, videos, and everything in between. It was a very tough decision. I actually had my wife narrow it down. It, it, <laughs> it took up my entire day. So uh, it's fun to do, but it, it is very time consuming. I shouldn't leave all of it to the end. That's, that's partially my fault as well. Let's start. With the big reveal, 12-team head-to-head points league, which will be drafted this coming Tuesday night, March 21st at, what did we agree to, 9 p.m. Eastern time? Is that cool, Scott? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, 9 p.m. Eastern time? Sure. All right, apologies if I mispronounce your name, because I'm sure there will be a few that I just completely butcher. Joining Scott, Chris, and me will be Daniel Boger, Adam Lenarski, Tom Kopeck, Terry Gensler, Sean Snow, Noah Kakane UN, Dave Wilson, Aubrey Green, and Kyle B, who didn't provide a last name. The email is SeanConnery03. So <laughs> congrats to those who have made it into the 12-team head-to-head points league. Uh, looking forward to drafting with all of you. That'll be again this Tuesday, March 21st, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll do that draft live on uh-huh. YouTube. I think I remember mocking with Sean Snow once. Yes, we I banned remember, him you know because he kept Sean Snow. We uh, we banned him because he kept stealing all of our players. Ah. But then he came up with a bunch of great memes, so I let him. I let him join the league. Okay. Next up, we have the 16-team head-to-head categories for the People League drafting the following Monday night, March 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Joining Chris Scott and myself will be Gareth Cummins. No relationship to Heath, I don't think at least. Evan Pryor, Brian Williams, Justin Finney, Alfredo G, no last name. Corey Cassaw, Chris Grosskreutz, Grosskreutz, I'm sorry. Keaton and Sean Patel, they're in there as partners. That's a father-son duo. Kevin Sester, Brady Francisco, Brendan Zachary, Roy Copens, and Template US for reasons... <laughs> I can't get into, but you know who you are. Congrats to everybody. If you heard your name, email frank.stample at cbsinteractive.com. If I don't hear from you in the next day or two, I'll reach out and we'll get you in the leagues and all that kind of fun stuff. Brian Williams in the For the People League, he made an awesome FBT bingo card. If anybody wants to play, if you want a copy, reach out and I will email you one because it is amazing. And I loved it. Uh, and I'll play a few songs throughout the podcast just for you to get a feel for the, the, the people who won. And let me pull up the first one here. We're going to start with Gimme Aaron Judge. This is by Evan Pryor, sung to the tune of In the Club by 50 Cent. Enjoy. Go, 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 go. Got lucky. I got the first pick. 
fist pump in the air, I got the first pick. Straight jumping for joy, I got the first pick. I knew just who I'll be taking with my first pick. Give me Aaron Judge, mountain of a man, I'm going to a mess. Not even gonna discuss, only take the best. I ain't even taking scrubs, they call me Scotty Dubs. Way I rise above, give me Aaron Judge, mountain of a man, I'm going to a mess. Not even gonna discuss, only take the best. I ain't into taking scrubs, they call me Scotty Dubs. Way I rise above. Very nice job Ooh. there from yeah. Evan. Got a few. Honestly, honestly, the second verse is even better. The lyrics. Yeah, it's, it is really good. It's really <laughs> the good. lyrics good. If anybody, awesome. if anyone wants to hear it, just email me and I'll send you a copy of it. Uh, but a few Scotty Dubs references in there as well. You gotta love it. Let's quickly talk about some news and notes. Edwin Diaz underwent successful surgery to repair his torn patellar tendon. So that's the official diagnosis. Going to be out for the entire season with the New York Mets. Uh, we don't have any clarity. I don't think I haven't seen anything on who will close there. I know David Robertson threw a clean inning uh, in spring training here on Thursday. Has anything changed for you guys in terms of the Mets bullpen? I, it does seem like there are more beat writers saying David Robertson than Adovino. I still put Adovino slightly ahead in my rankings for now because uh, I'm not sure they're basing that on anything other than just looking at last year's save totals. Uh, but that, yeah, I've I've seen that from a couple beat writers that they they're they're using Robertson's name more than Adafino's. So Scott, you have Adam Adafino up at RP twenty five. I have David Robertson, who I think is the favorite at RP thirty one. That number needs to be higher, but I think he's probably in this group of Alex Lang, Kyle Finnegan, kind of Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I'm doing an NFBC draft, and let me quickly pull that up because. David Robertson just went in round 12 of a 15-team league, so that would be uh, like pick 170, somewhere around there. Yeah. Does that sound... And, and sounds a one, name we haven't, one name we haven't mentioned yet is Brooks Raley. He, he's a left-hander. Uh, right. Great numbers with the Rays last year. He was one guy who we were duped into believing might be emerging as the closer there. And so if they sign Zach Britton, as has been rumored then that might free up Rayleigh for more save opportunities as another left-hander. So I don't know. It, it could become really messy. I, I just think, I think Ottavino is their best reliever. So that's when, when there's a question, that's usually where I lean. All right. A few standout performances from Thursday. Brendan Fott with the Arizona Diamondbacks starting pitching prospect. Seven strikeouts over four innings in relief. He's not on the 40-man roster right now. I actually texted the Welsh Oh, by the way, the Welsh couldn't make it today, so he sends his apologies. But I asked him, what's the deal with the uh, with the fifth starter with the Arizona Diamondbacks? And he gave me a little tidbit that Dre Jameson came out to work with the bullpen guys when Welsh was at Diamondbacks camp uh, this week. So he thinks maybe with Melanson going on the IL, there's a chance that Jameson will be using the bullpen and uh, that Brandon Fott has a real opportunity to be the fifth starter for the Diamondbacks. So just wanted to throw that out there. Clark Schmidt threw five perfect innings with seven strikeouts for the Yankees. Reed Detmers continues his awesome spring. Five innings, one run, six strikeouts. And we did have some Pirates injuries. Andrew McCutcheon dealing with some minor right elbow soreness. And Carlos Santana dealing with knee discomfort. Uh, Chris, did you have any takeaways on the, the performances uh, of, I guess... Sleeper types, Brandon Fott and, and Clark Schmidt. Yeah, I mean, Fott looks great this spring. So, you know, the nice thing is they'll have to put him on the 40-man roster at some point. So we'll get, 
you know, a definitive answer whether he's going to be up with the team on opening day, you know, at some point. But yeah, I think he's moving into the the late round discussion. And I think Clark Schmidt belongs there too, given the injuries that the Yankees have in the rotation. Um, you know, with Rodon, you know, maybe he only misses a couple turns in the rotation. Clark Schmidt kind of battling with Domingo Herman at this point. Now I think he's, you know, they're both likely in the rotation to start the season. I think Clark Schmidt might be the better pitcher. Domingo Herman, he's fine. He's like a been a consistent like four ERA guy, even when he's been good. So I'd rather see Schmidt get the opportunity. He's added, I think, a cutter yep. to his arsenal this uh, this and, spring. That is, uh, and, and, and I was looking at the data for Clark Schmidt. The spin rates on his pitches are crazy. The mm-hmm. fastball, slider, and, and curveball, all three. The curveball gets close to three thousand RPM. He, which did, is yeah, like I think he's pretty good. Charlie Morton level. He did have prospect pedigree, Clark Schmidt. I mean, there mm-hmm. was yeah. people in the organization that had a a good amount of confidence in him. So. Excited to see what Clark Schmidt could do. Uh, definitely should be drafted in deeper leagues as of now. One other name I wanted to mention, uh, Jeffrey Springs had another really great start. Four and a third, three hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. His great spring continues. Let's get back into position preview updates. And we have shortstop. We know that the this is a very... It's a deep position until it's not. It's like 15, 16 players deep and then just falls off of a cliff. There's still... Some kind of interesting names. Scott, I know you like Ezekiel Tovar as well. Uh, the yeah. hype guys, Corey Seager and O'Neill Cruz are on the rise, consistently seeing them as fifth-round picks in 12-team leagues, sometimes fourth-round for Corey Seager. So those guys are on the rise, as is Anthony Volpe, who has moved ahead of Oswald Peraza in terms of redraft value and should be drafted in all leagues. Scott, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so what is the latest ADP on Volpe? I'll, I'll look still, up the I'll look up the last week or so and let you know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's still around three fifty for the last week, but you can confirm that. Uh, yeah, uh, shortstop, like I said, it's it's the position that's deep at the top. So how that how the experience for you is going to depend, like I said, at second base on how deep your league is. If you're in a twelve team or ten team league with no middle infield spots, so just every team has one shortstop spot to fill. Pretty good shortstops are going to be available for mm-hmm. a long time. Uh, the 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 big drop off for me is after like Willie Adamas and and Carlos Correa, yep. which is uh, how many players in the position is that? It's about one, fourteen. Two, four, four, 14 players in the position. Some of those guys are multi eligible. Bobby Witt's probably going to play third base for whoever drafts him. Tom, Maybe Tommy, Tommy Edmund at second. Yep. Uh, maybe Fernando Tatis eventually, whoever drafts him, moves him to the outfield. So it, but but the point is, if if it's a twelve team league, there is enough for everybody to have one, and there's definitely no reason to reach. If it's a deeper league, like if it's a fifteen team roto league with where there's a middle infield spot to fill, then Carlos Correa and Wander Franco are probably going to both be gone by the end of round eight or something mm-hmm. like that, fairly early. Correa. Tends to last longer than he should. His ADP just over the last week since I pulled it up, um, because Volpe's 291 over the last week at NFC drafts. Correa is still going behind Jeremy Pena in NFC drafts over the last week. Yep. I don't think that makes any sense. I I think there's a clear different, a drop off after Carlos Correa, but yep. Correa is the one guy, if you're inclined to wait, there are 13 shortstop eligible players going inside of the top 90. 
Mm-hmm. Then there's Jeremy Pena about two rounds later, and then a round after that or so is Carlos Correa. Yeah, I just I wrote two articles this past week, just kind of like an ADP mm-hmm. review, um, the most overrated and the most underrated by ADP. Jeremy Pena was one of my most overrated. Yeah. Carlos Correa was one of my most underrated. Uh, that big tier at shortstop by ADP, it begins with Xander Bogarts and ends with Carlos Correa. I think Carlos Correa might be better than Xander Bogarts this year. So mm-hmm. generally how I approach shortstop is unless unless I can get uh, two of my breakout, the, the two breakout picks of mine at this position, Corey Seager and O'Neill Cruz, unless I can get them in that round five range, then I'm probably going to try to wait out that ginormous tier that ends with Carlos Correa and, and most likely Correa being the one I target. And if I miss out, which I'm very unlikely to do in a shallow league, but if it's deeper league and I miss out, I don't know that all hope is lost because for deep league purposes, I've kind of come around to Ahmed Rosario and Nico Horner. They're not flashy, but they help in batting average and stolen bases, which are two <clears> difficult <throat> categories to fill at that stage of the draft. And um, Although, I think they're fine for deeper league purposes. In and NFC then, drafts over the last week, Ahmed Rosario is only nine spots behind Carlos Correa. And Nico yeah, Horner is only I mean, eight spots behind him. I'd yeah, no, I'd definitely Correa. rather have Correa, yeah. Uh, but they do get dragged up in those deeper formats. I'm just saying it's not, not all hope is lost in those deep leagues after you miss out on Correa. Yeah, and, and the then thing to I keep s- in mind is NFC drafts are 15 teams, so not all these. Their, their main ones are, right. and yeah, Nico I'm, Horner I'm, is number 17. We mentioned Bobby Witt and Tommy Edmond probably playing in other positions, so yeah. that's kind of the end of that starting tier. Yeah, and, and like I said, for a shallow league, Nico Horner and Ahmed Rosario don't make the cut for me. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a failure if I fall, if, if if I'm forced to take them in a shallow league, but in a deep league, I think it's fine. And if I miss out on them, I am really excited about Ezekiel Tovar. And I used to say Oswald Peraza, but now, as you mentioned, Frank, I'm leading more uh, toward Anthony Volpe as like an extreme fallback at this position. Yeah, I'm actually doing a 15-team slow draft over at the NFBC right now. Our buddy Greg Lathrop is actually a part of it. We randomly joined together, had no idea. I wound up with uh, Javier Baez as my starting shortstop. I don't love it, but it's the 12th round. I think it's okay value in a 15-team league. So he's another just kind of deep fallback option, I would say. Volpe, I wanted to mention what he's done so far in the spring. He's 10 for 30 with two home runs and four steals and OPS over 1,100. I think we could have, not to the same extent, but a Jordan Walker situation where if Volpe is named to the Yankees' opening day roster, he's going to move up 100 picks, 150. Yep. Like He's probably going to go inside the top 200 or even the top 150. So keep yeah. that in mind I, if, if it happens. I, I think there's still a lot of hesitance to draft him. But that that could change very quickly. Uh, all right, your favorite to draft at shortstop? Just give me a name. Corey Seager. Chris. Probably Carlos Correa, although it's it's O'Neill Cruz. All right, it's Corey Seager. Cor- Fernando Tatis also. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's Corey Seager for me as well. Let's move over to third base. We still don't know for sure if Jordan Walker will make the Cardinals, but drafters seem to be expecting it. Walker now up to about a 130 ADP in the month of March. Alec Bohm is having a big spring. He added some muscle in the offseason. We'll see if it translates to the regular season. 
Justin Turner got hit in the face with a pitch. He required 16 stitches. Reds prospect Christian Encarnacion Strand made a bunch of noise, had a monster spring, but did get sent down to the minors. Chris, I'll throw this one your way. Uh, are you still drafting Encarnacion Strand and stashing him with the hopes that he'll be up soon, a month, two months into the season? No, I don't think he's the the caliber of prospect that needs to be drafted and stashed, especially in like a 12-team league. Maybe in a deeper 15-team league where you've got some bench spots to play with, possibly. But even there, it's hard to stash prospects in a 15-team league if you don't have, you know, in those NFC drafts, especially where you don't have IL spots, it becomes very, very tricky. So, no, I, I don't think that, you know, I'm I'm super interested in, in stashing Christian and Carnacion Strand. All right. Another prospect that's having a big spring is Brett Beatty with the New York Mets. And he is 12 for 32 with a home run, two steals, batting 375. Scott, what do you think is the latest on Brett Beatty? The likelihood he makes the opening day roster? I don't even know. Would he be an everyday player? They have Escobar. They have Marcana in left field. So I don't know. It's kind of dicey on Brett Beatty. Yeah. I haven't heard a lot on that situation. I, I think I heard mention of one point that they were trying Escobar in the outfield uh, to give him a little exposure there. There's been talk that Brett Beatty might ultimately wind up in the outfield. So the fact that he's still around, like they haven't optioned him yet, suggests there's at least a chance. And I am I'm excited about Brett Beatty. Good uh Good numbers across the board in the minors, including plate discipline. The little bit we saw in the majors of him last year didn't strike out much, hit the ball very hard, even against le- fellow left-handers. So uh, I, I think at this very thin position, and look, I, I'd be remiss not to point out, as, as much as I've been obsessing about third base throughout this entire draft prep season, like this is the most important position in my mind. This is, uh, you know, you got these glob of early round studs at the top. Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado, Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, Bobby Witt, and Nolan Arenado. You got those six. But they're all pretty much gone by the end of round two. Arenado might make it to early in round three. And then after they're gone, it's really sketchy, really dicey. There are a few potential high-end options that you're probably going to have to reach for. So I like... My top priority in drafts this year is to draft a third baseman in round two, basically. And if I don't, things don't usually turn out well. And the reason it came to mind talking about Brett Beatty is because, okay, (laughs) here we have a guy, maybe, maybe a little bit of upside that's being overlooked at this position. But of course, it's, it's entirely contingent on him making the roster, which still seems like a bit of a long shot. I thought you were going to say, Scott, it came up talking about Brett Beatty because we did a mock draft the other day and yep. you wound up with Brett Beatty as your starting third baseman because, in that draft. Because I was picking first overall, so I was picking yep. last in round two and all of those third basemen, including Arenado, were gone. And Correct. so that's, that's what I'm hoping to avoid. Scott, who is your favorite of that early round group? I like Devers slightly more than Machado, depending on the scoring a little bit. But in standard scoring, I like him a tiny bit more. His ADP is actually late in round two. I don't know how, but I, I guess I would say relative to the consensus, Devers is my favorite and probably the one I'm going to wind up with the most. Chris, which third baseman is your favorite to draft? I'm kind of all over the place with third base. <laughs> I probably have a lot of Manny Machado. I probably have a lot of uh, Anthony Rendon and then kind of anything in between. So 
I wouldn't say it's certainly not as much of a priority for me as it is for Scott. And, uh, you know, because of that, I don't necessarily have one guy that I go with. It really depends on where in the draft I am. I'd like to get one of the early guys. I like getting Manny Machado, Devers, really any of that group, even Bobby Witt Jr. in a Roto League. Uh, totally fine with that. If I miss out on that group, trying to draft Gunnar Henderson in the middle rounds. Not really worried about this, but he is two for 21 in the spring. He's got no home runs and no steals, so eh, it's just something I've noticed, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Before we hit the break, let's uh, let's get another one of these listener league submission songs that we uh, that we received. This next one is for you, Chris, and it is a rendition of mm. Taylor Swift's Willow from our league mate, Terry Gensler. I was excited when the draft came up that night But when it finished I just knew something wasn't right And third base is a very dark place I took it Brian but I wasn't safe Yandy isn't quite the best escape The more that hay swings the less I know When DS hits the worms take a blow Waiting for you to raise that launch angle yeah Angle, yeah. It's a great job. I, I don't know really anything about Taylor Swift. I'm sorry, Chris. But hearing that song, I was like, I kind of want to hear the actual version now. It's a good song. She's she's great. She's the, you know, she's this, this generation's Springsteen. Come at me, haters. Oh, gosh. All right, well, with that, let's take our final break, and we'll get to more position preview updates here on Fantasy Baseball today. All right. Well, we've got about 15 to 20 minutes to talk about I don't know, two of the most important positions and then <laughs> relief pitcher. So let's do it. Outfield, super strong first round, kind of bleh in the middle, and then a bunch of interesting names late. That's basically what I came up with for outfield. Since our position previews, a lot has happened. Jordan Alvarez dealing with hand soreness. Swinging a bat has not appeared in a spring training game yet. Mitch Hanniger, Harrison Bader, and Seiya Suzuki all have oblique strains. Suzuki and Bader will not be ready on opening day. Not sure yet on Mitch Hanniger. Garrett Mitchell had a hot start, but is now dealing with a hamstring injury. The hope is for him to return to spring training action next week. And if all goes well, then uh, he is still a fun sleeper candidate as well. Players on the rise. Corbin Carroll, Anthony Santander is destroying the WBC right now. Lars Newbar, Riley Green, and Jared Kelnick, I believe, stole another base on Thursday. The guy's just smacking bombs, running wild. Hopefully, it can translate into the regular season. A lot of prospect fun. Oscar Colas with the White Sox. Sal Freelich uh, doing very well for Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic. And some deep league steam for Josh Lowe and Alec Thomas. Some bad news. Brian De La Cruz might not make the opening day roster for the Miami Marlins. Chris, I just hit on a bunch of different things. So anything you'd like to address and your favorite outfielder or outfielders to draft. I think Riley Green probably would be my favorite outfielder to draft. Um, really believe in the breakout potential for him. The Brian De La Cruz stuff, it's frustrating. Jesus Sanchez having a very good spring, so I think that's... And he's has options, and Brian De La Cruz doesn't, so that's probably the explanation there. Marlins kind of backed themselves into a corner with some of their roster moves, so uh, I think Brian De La Cruz will get a chance at some point. 
I did draft Oscar Colas in a, a mock draft today for the first time. Yeah. It was like 250th overall. Felt good about that. Happy about that one. Um, and I really love to see Josh Lowe and Alec Thomas starting to get some love because those are two guys later in your draft, especially your 15-team leagues, who absolutely should be drafted. Not 100% clear if they both have starting jobs, but I think it's more likely than not in in each case. And you know, they were players we were really excited about this time last year. I don't think they've just lost their talent. So I, uh, I like Alec Thomas and Josh Lowe, especially as uh, post-type bounce backs. Perfect range to target Oscar Colas, too. I'm looking at the last week of NFBC ADP. The ADP for Colas is 254. So spot on there if you want him. Probably have to take him around 250. Scott, any thoughts on any of the things that I brought up? Strategy, favorite outfielder to draft the season? Well, of course, I would still say outfield, like third base is the most important position. Outfield is the thinnest position, considering you have at least three of those spots to fill, maybe five. And so, like, it, it it's pretty much imperative for me to get an outfielder in round one. Seven go there, so there are a lot of really high-end types. It might be eight in a points league with Mike Trout, and I just want to make sure that I'm one of the ones taking one of them, if I can. Um, and, uh, usually I want three by the time my top 30 are gone because that's where I see the biggest drop off. So that's kind of like after, I think by ADP, the last of them is Hunter Renfro or, you know what? I may have moved Lars Newtbar into that group though. I'm sure Lars Newtbar's ADP is lower. He's a very trendy pick and tends to go earlier in industry drafts. Uh, but that's about the point where, like, I want three outfielders. That's uh, others in that range, Taylor Ward, Anthony Santander, because things get pretty scary after that. I will say, though, that what's probably changed since the position preview is that I, I have come up with more late-round targets that I like at this position. Uh, Oscar Colas is one. Riley Green is one. We've mentioned them. But... Two that I've been gravitating toward a lot lately are Garrett Mitchell, who I think is going to be just a huge source of steals for the Brewers, and Jake Fraley, who I think could be a power speed threat with good on-base skills uh, in, in the Reds lineup. I guess kind of a poor man's Lars Newtbar, actually. Uh, the, the skill indicators aren't as strong as for Newt Barr, but of course he has a great park, Fraley does, and uh, probably going to steal more bases than Newt Barr. So I, I like Fraley a lot. Kelnick, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on after his big spring, which has continued. That Brian De La Cruz thing is weird because he was like the fantasy MVP of September. What you've done for me lately, I guess. But yeah, that's. That's how I break down outfield right now. All right. Some of my favorite targets to draft. Eloy Jimenez. Chris, did you... I, I, you watched that Puerto Rico game, right? Uh, yes. Eloy Jimenez looks like a different human. He is in fantastic shape. And yes. they were talking about it on the broadcast, too. So he worked hard this offseason, got the body right. Hopefully that can help him stay healthy. But he... Hopefully not playing outfield will also help. <laughs> Hopefully. Cross your fingers. No Eloy in the outfield. Stay healthy, and we have a big season coming. Lars Nupar, the name continues to come up. The ADP over the past week is 167. So now inside of the top 170 uh, over the past week. So if you want Nupar, you got to pull him up a little bit. And Jorge Soler is someone that I wind up with quite a bit. 
power is not easy to find later on in drafts. If you listen to Scott, you probably don't need to find power later on in your drafts. Sometimes I need to. And uh, Jorge Soler is someone that I find myself targeting. If he could stay on the field, I think he can give you 25 plus home runs outside of the top 380p, which obviously that's that's pretty damn late. Let's get into starting pitcher. Now I got a few more songs. Let's play another song, and then we'll get into starting pitcher, relief pitcher. This next one that I have uh, is called Draft Andrew Vaughn. It's by Brady Francisco, and it's sung to the tune of Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Enjoy. Here's the thing. We'll start in round 10. Goldie's gone, so his medal set in. Yeah, yeah. Draft Andrew Vaughn. You followed Scott's tears, you took an ace. Now you got no one at first base. Yeah, yeah. Draft Andrew Vaughn. And Vinny Pasquantino. Was drafted several rounds ago. Goodbye, Vinny Pasquantino. And draft Andrew Vaughn. He's your last hope at first base. Lavros is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After him, you won't get what you want. Props for going with the slow version, too, because <laughs> I feel like your voice is just accentuated when you're singing that version of Since You've Been Gone. But yeah, if you want to be like uh, Brady Francisco, then you can draft Andrew Vaughn. Help out your problems there at first base. Let's get into starting pitcher. Oh, gosh, where do we start? Jacob deGrom has been slowed by a left side injury, made a minor league start this past week, but has not made an official spring training start Yet. Carlos Rodon has a forearm injury. Sounds like he's doing better if all goes well. Only misses two to three starts. That's if everything goes well. Joe Musgrove has a fractured toe, might only miss one start at the beginning of the season. Tyler Glass now has an oblique injury and will try and return in early May. Kyle Wright has been delayed with a shoulder injury, but will make his spring debut next week. Tony Gonsolin has an ankle injury and will miss some time. We didn't get an official timetable here, right? I just no, they said it's they're going to take it slow. Yeah, I, I think he's supposed to start his throwing program before spring ends is what I saw. So I, I don't think it's going to be a long absence, maybe all of April, but maybe not. Okay. Lance McCullers has a forearm injury but has started a throwing program. We don't have a timetable on him yet either. Jose Quintana will miss three months or so with a rib injury. David Peterson and Tyler McGill are competing for the Mets' fifth starter job. Some risers, some hype guys throughout spring training. Christian Javier, Chris Sale, Pablo Lopez, and Reed Detmers. If I miss anything, please just feel free to throw it you know, out there when I, uh, when I send it your way. Reported new pitch or higher velocity this spring training. Zach Wheeler has been working with a sweeper. Everyone's working with a sweeper. Robbie Ray. Velocity is up, throwing a splitter. Logan Gilbert went to driveline this offseason. He's throwing a splitter. Pablo Lopez has a new curveball slash sweeper. Velocity was up in his World Baseball Classic start. Joe Ryan throwing a splitter. I believe a new slider. Velocity also up a little bit. Sean Manaya, his velocity was up early on in spring. I feel like I haven't heard much about it since then. Some prospects. Grayson Rodriguez should be in the rotation on opening day for the Orioles. Hunter Brown 
in there for the Astros as long as Lance McCullers is out. Hayden Wesneski looks great for the Cubs, and there's an opening there. And so does Brandon Fott, who has a chance with the Diamondbacks. All right, Scott. Lots of names, lots of news, all kinds of things shifting around. Any other mm-hmm. information you've developed this spring and some of your favorites to target at starting pitcher? Well, for as big as this position is and for as critical as it's been in recent years, uh, I think I, I, I think coming out of the juice ball era, it's become a, kind of the least interesting position to me. Like certainly the least the one I prioritize least early in drafts because I feel like the middle class has come to be so big uh, with so many options I feel good about that I'm just not that particular about who I get. So Chris Sale, as you pointed out, is one that I've moved up a lot. I've moved him he, he at the start when we did the uh, starting pitcher preview. He was probably closer to Charlie Morton in my rankings, and now he's closer to like Tristan McKenzie in my rankings. Uh, very excited about him, but that's you know I'm usually targeting him as like a number three for as high as I have him, which goes to show you how much depth there is here. I'm not taking a starting pitcher probably in the first four rounds. By the time the tier with like Dylan Cease, Alec Manoa, Julio Rios, Max Fried, by the time that's beginning to deplete, that's usually when I go for my first pitcher. And I have yet to conduct a draft this year where I came out of it thinking, oh boy, my pitching is a big issue. I keep trying to. I keep pushing the envelope and it just never happens. I like four old guys in pretend. They're not old necessarily. The gold. I'm going to call them the four horsemen. We've referred to them as the Mount Rushmore before. No. Scott, Merrill you, Kelly. Scott, you fought to keep Mount Rushmore. You gotta keep it now. You can't go with four horsemen. Well, I like I. It's not that I was that. It's that people kept throwing. Like it, it, it gained momentum of its own. People started saying Mount Rushmore to me as if we're all supposed to know what they're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's a bit arcane as a nickname, so I don't like it. But it, it has a lot of momentum. <laughs> anyway, the pitchers are. Um, Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis, Tyler Anderson, Martin Perez. They were all top 40 among starting pitchers last year. They're all going outside the top 200 overall this year. And if I can grab a couple of those guys to really stabilize some of my risky picks earlier, uh, I I tend to do it. And I tend to be happy with what results. Chris, anything that has stood out to you so far this spring? Uh, any particular starting pitcher strategy? I know typically you wind up with one or two aces early on in your drafts, and then you wait a little bit. Uh, what are you thinking, and who are your favorite starting pitchers to draft? Yeah, I've usually got two starting pitchers when Scott's got one, uh, and then we're probably taking our third starting pitcher around the same time. So, you know, the the top end is a little bit different, but I want probably two starting pitchers with my first five picks is usually how I go maybe sixth pick. And then I usually don't take another one until the 10th round. And that's usually Chris sale who I've moved inside of my top 100 overall. He's my starting pitcher number 27. So take that Scott. I'm the Chris sale guy. Uh, Mm. And a lot of my favorite pitching staffs are Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and then like Chris Sale, Dustin May, Jesus, Jesus Lazardo. 
Like yeah. that is a really, really fun group that I love to draft. Like you can typically get them like 12, 13, 14. And I just, I think all three of those guys just have a ton of upside for various yeah. reasons. And, and I think Dustin may actually has a pretty high floor, obviously injuries and innings will yeah. limit his, his ceiling. But I think when he's on the mound, I think Dustin may just the, the skill set is really, really strong. Even if like he doesn't get the strikeouts, we hope he will. He's so hard to hit that. I think he shares a lot of similarities with like Sandy Alcantara, obviously, you know, if you get 70 fewer innings from Dustin May than Sandy Alcantara, I think you take it as a win this year. But I think that's still um, a very, very nice pitcher to have. So Scott and I have somewhat different strategies, but mostly it's just I want 280 inning aces to anchor my staff to make me feel better about the same risks that Scott and I are going to be taking in the mid to late rounds. I'd rather do that than, you know, like I – I don't really ever draft the the Golden Girls. Uh, <laughs> We're just gonna have like five different nicknames for this group. Um, but yeah, the no, Boar there, there the Four was one somebody came yeah, up. That's with. good. I like. The, that. There's basically, I, I think, the way to look at it with starting pitchers, unless you're in a 15 team league, and even then, there's probably never a point where there isn't a starting pitcher I like. So you brought up Luzardo, Lodolo, Dustin May. Those are about, on average, uh, what, the 40th starting pitchers mm-hmm. off the board? That just goes to show, because I think everybody hears those names, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of upside there. 40th? So if you're talking a 10-team league, that's like everybody's number four starter. Uh, that uh, that just goes to show you how much depth there is. But even here. like Reed Detmers is like the 60th starting pitcher, 50th, yeah. 55th starting pitcher off the board. Yeah. And you still have Patrick Sandoval and John Gray and Jack Flaherty and Tony Gonsolin going after him. Edward Cabrera. Like, there's just no shortage of starting pitchers at every point in the draft. Yeah, no, I mean, I mostly agree with you, Chris. I, I like to get a couple of aces early. It's one of the Mets guys, Verlander or Scherzer or Brandon Woodruff is someone I find myself drafting a lot. I am very exposed to Zach Wheeler, so I need him to stay healthy and have a big season. He's kind of a fallback option for me. Uh, I have him ranked at SP10. That might be a little bit aggressive. And then uh, I like to target a lot of those high upside guys you got uh, that you mentioned as well. Jeffrey Springs is someone I, I draft a lot too. So him and then like the Marlins guys later on, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers is making some noise this spring training. Pablo Lopez kind of caught my eye recently and uh, throwing that new curveball sweeper. So mostly agree with everything you guys said. It, it's pretty deep, but I still do like to get... Oh, can't go on without saying... Lance Lynn and Blake Snell in terms of just like the mid tier guys love them too. Uh, and I think if you want to grab both of them, I think they complement each other uh, very well. One is an innings eater and then the other one gives you a, a bunch of strikeouts. So uh, I do like that combination quite a bit as well. Let's wrap up with relief pitcher. And we just received the big blow yesterday. Edwin Diaz has a torn patellar tendon. We'll miss the entire season. And it creates these ripple effects within the relief pitcher position where now I think there's nine relievers that I feel you know pretty safe about their job security, and frankly, I want to get one of those nine. But Chris, a already shallow position and, and shallow category when we're talking about saves just became worse. Um, and as a result, Class A moves up. He's the clear top-tier closer. Uh, but everyone else just kind of moves up a little bit as well with this injury to Edwin Diaz. 
Yeah, and and that's typically what you see at a position like relief pitcher. I think you can also, you know, talk about tight end or running back in fantasy football or catcher in fantasy baseball where there are the true difference makers and then there are the guys we hope can be difference makers and the true difference makers are always worth the price you pay for them and it's the next tier that gets pushed up because we we try to convince ourselves that they can be difference makers and it's a really it's an iffy strategy um i think getting one of those elite relievers this season more than any other it, it really does make a difference it's not necessarily something i do in every draft but I am more likely to take an Emmanuel Class A or Josh Hader or Jordan Romano this year than I have been in the past just because, like we talked about uh, in tomorrow's podcast, uh, what? you know, if you get about 55 saves, you're going to be in the middle of the pack in a 12-team Roto League. You can cobble that together and risk your ratios, or you can get Emmanuel Class A and then one other guy who gives you 20 saves, and you're probably going to be at least middle of the pack. So I... I think it's um, a very viable strategy to take one of those closers, especially if they fall to like the sixth round, which happens occasionally. I really like doing that. Scott, we got some news recently on Kyle Finnegan that he could be used more as a fireman reliever. Still expected to be the saves leader for the Washington Nationals, but uh, I think that limits the upside a little bit with Kyle Finnegan. Do we have any answers on... Arizona, both Chicago teams, Oakland, Anaheim, Philadelphia, the Dodgers. What do you think? Uh, still not a lot. Uh, I, I would. I think the, the one we have the most answers on of those you mentioned is the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, there was a p- report from the Athletic that uh, they talked up the role to Michael Fulmer to kind of lure him in, and that Brad Boxberger was also mentioned as a possibility. So that eliminates. Um. Uh, Brandon Hughes, the left-hander. And and I would say Fulmer's the one I want there. Uh, Carlos Estevez seems to be a strong leading for the Angels, even though he's had a rough spring. I feel like Scott McGuff is gaining traction in the yes. Diamondbacks bullpen. He's had a good spring and was a closer in Japan the last two years. So he's the one I target there, though not with much confidence. I mean, look, my strategy relief pitcher is to not even mess with these guys. Uh, and, and I'm not... Like I'm, I'm definitely not big on going, on investing an early round pick at, at relief pitcher. Like I'm not going to be drafting a manual class A. That is the only range in the draft where I feel like you can draft a stud hitter with confidence, and I'm not willing to pass it up for a safe source. But uh, I used to say when we did our position preview, I used to say there were nine guys you could pencil in for 30 saves this year. Now, of course, there's eight with Edwin Diaz gone. I try to get one of the last of those off the board, which is usually it's usually Kenley Jansen, but sometimes it might be Rysel Iglesias or Felix Bautista, and I'm fine with that as my top closer. Then I try to get one. I'm talking, of course, more in a roto league here. Then I try to get one from uh, David Bednar, Alexis Diaz, or Daniel Bard, who I th- are pretty confident they're their team's closers, but with you know, it's, it's bad teams and not quite as much confidence, but I feel pretty good about them giving me 20 to 25 saves. Maybe if I miss out on them, I look I look to a Paul Seawald or a Peter Fairbanks. Uh, and then I try to get one of just the, the really low-end guys who I think could find themselves getting a lot of saves, like a Craig Kimbrell or a Jose LeClerc. Uh, an Evan Phillips, somebody like that as, as a third option. And, and I feel pretty good about my save situation going into the season like that. 
as I said, that's more for a roto league. Head-to-head points leagues, like that's the format where I, where I still feel confident saying, just give me the best of whatever's left because every team is probably only drafting two relievers. It may be like uh, Scott Barlow and Daniel Bard that I start out with in those two relief in those two relief pitcher spots, but that's the format since we don't go as deep into the position where I still feel comfortable uh, playing the waiver wire. Uh, expecting to find decent save sources there throughout the year. And if you play in a head-to-head points league, just some sparks to know. Obviously, starting pitchers as relief pitchers, kind of a cheat code in that format. Spencer Strider is far and away the best one, not even close. So you're probably going to have to draft him in the third or fourth round in that format. Uh, And then you drop down to Hunter Brown, which is around pick 200. And then much later, if you just want to take a shot, I'm not saying you have to, but if you want to, Matthew Boyd, Nick Martinez, Yusei Kikuchi, old friend, of course, and uh, David Peterson. If he wins that job, he is relief pitcher eligible on CBS. So worth mentioning Mm -hmm. that. And just give me a name, guys. Favorite reliever to draft this season is blank. Uh, I'm going to say Kenley Jansen. Chris? Yeah, that's fine. I like like the relative value because of those guys you could pencil in for 30 saves, he seems to be the one with the most skepticism surrounding him. I would say I've probably drafted Paul Seawald the most just because like, if I'm going to take a chance on an, it like the first two weeks of the season are probably going to see like eight closers change jobs or like the guy we thought it was, wasn't the guy it was, or someone loses their job. So like if I'm going to invest a late round pick in an iffy guy, I'm going to do it on a guy I'm confident is a very good pitcher who could get saves rather than some of the guys who I know or feel pretty confident are not good pitchers, but might get saves and also might be in my lineup for a week and a half, get blown up, get one save, lose three and never get heard from again. You know, for me, favorites to draft. It is the mountain. Felix Bautista, finally healthy, look good in his debut velocity down one mile per hour, but I think that can continue to pick up. So I do like Felix Bautista You guys mentioned Scott McGuff. (laughs) He is someone I have drafted in a lot of draft and hold leagues and in NL only labor. So far this spring, five and two thirds innings, super small sample. Zero hits allowed. He's been pretty awesome. Uh, Sorry for going a little bit late, but man, it's a very important time of year. And obviously you need to know this stuff going into a big draft weekend. We are going to wrap there. We're going to leave you with one more listener song. And this one was from Adam Lenarski, sung to the tune of Juicy by the Notorious B.I.G. It is fantastic. (laughs) We're right there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again tomorrow with a mailbag. Bye-bye. Yeah, this roster is dedicated to all the experts that told me Dylan Cease wouldn't amount to nothing. To all the people that saw my team I put together and made fun of me for drafting Jazz Chisholm in the third round when I was just trying to fill a shallow position. And all the sleepers at the tail end, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. It was all a dream. I somehow got Mookie at pick 13. Runs and seals and power hidden will lead my team. Hidden doubles off the wall. Every Saturday with the bat, Mr. He can do it all. I drafted Lindor with my pick four. No third base spot, I have to say I'm sorry, Scott. Way back, there's still Muncie, he can hack. 
Multi-position, versatile at that Remember Dustin May, the redhead star You never thought that Tommy John would drop him this far Now I'm in the limelight cause my draft's tight Time to get saves, oh look there's Class A